0: Funding for the Hinckley Report is made possible in part by the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation and the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report as a podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe at your go-to podcast platform. Good evening, and welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Rennell Anderson-Jones, professor of law at the University of Utah, S.J. Quinney College of Law. Boyd Matheson, opinion editor for the Deseret News. And Max Roth, anchor with Fox 13. Thank you so much for being with us. I'm really looking forward to the show because we just finished a major election cycle and so much about what happened there, what happens in our lives is about the information we get, where we get it from. Is it true? Does that matter? Is there truth to all this? So we're going to talk about all of this today. I'm just so glad to have you with us. Uh, Renella I want to start with you for a moment about this, this, this great phrase, it's fake news, all right? This is something we hear so much, particularly with our president of the United States, President Trump has talked about fake news a lot. Break down for just a moment, because I think the definitions are important. What do you think that even means?
1: Well, I think part of the problem is that it means many things, and it means different things to different people. Uh, If we're just using the definition of the two words, we, of course, have an English definition for the word fake, right? Not true, um, false, and we have a definition for news, right? Uh, Information that is on matters of public concern, and so we might think that it is the equivalent of uh, something that's being perpetuated that's false, but uh, the president and others sort of co-opted the term as a political matter over the course of the last four years and turned it into something slightly different, right? And understanding that um, they meant uh, news that was biased or news that was even just unfriendly or unflattering to the president. And um, part of the problem that we have here is that people are using this term in both ways, right? Uh, And it can't mean both things at the same time. And so uh, when the president um, and others now in the political sphere uh, use the term it's hard to know whether what they're accusing the press of doing is of outright lying, right, engaging in misinformation or disinformation, or if they're accusing the press of something else, right, Um, having an agenda, being biased, um, being unflattering towards them. And I think that's problematic. I wish we didn't use the term at all. I wish we could have clean terms for each of those things uh, and uh, talk about um, disinformation more squarely and talk about media bias in its own way.
0: So let's get to that for just a second. And by the way, Ronell's a former reporter also so she she knows that side of the aisle as well but Boyd, you know we're talking about you all a little bit too right yeah
2: no question. It, it's it's a big part of what is on the, the media in terms of what is reporting, what is truth, uh, and are we actually getting to that versus what is going to be political. Uh, I don't think there's a politician anywhere in the world that is ever going to agree with all of the coverage that they get. There's always going to be something there. And uh, it has become, to Ronell's point, which I think is so important, that sadly that term of fake news has become a way to dismiss uh, anything that you don't agree with or anything that is not flattering or supportive of your p- uh, p- position on something and uh, so that's part of the problem but but ultimately uh, I think where this conversation ultimately has to land is it's it's a we the people issue uh, we are the ones that have to be responsible for the truth uh, there's a lot of ways to get to it and get at it but ultimately it does come down to individuals
3: uh-huh. and I think that it's also it has become uh, a couple of things first that using the word fake as Ronell mentioned uh, makes it an accusation it turns it into uh, that there's an act you're making that active step of faking something. So it's not that you got something mm-hmm. wrong or it's not that you differ, but that you are faking. And that's a and that's an accusation that gets at somebody's motives. motives yeah. And that is really that that is a dangerous toxic thing to just always throw out there. The other thing is that it is cheaply categorical. What it does is it it just it just dismisses out of hand, whatever somebody has said, without saying why it's wrong. Just saying, oh, that's the fake news. You don't even have to address those concerns because it's it's all just comes, it's fruit of a rotten tree. I'm trying to impress the, the law po- professor. Poisonous tree. <laughs> poisonous <laughs> tree, po- yeah, there you and, go. And, and yeah. I think that's really important
2: too, because what happens when you use those claims is it immediately stops any debate or any conversation. Yeah. It dismisses it. And, and to me that's the most dangerous part of it. It's not so much that it's undermining the credibility of the press or an elected official, it stops the debate. It prevents us from having the crucial conversations we need to have. So Sorrell, no, yeah, such
1: that's an- a massive concern, yeah. I think. Um, I think it's a, it's a massive concern uh, uh, that we don't really foster a system of government and the press engaging in counter speech, right? Uh, In the past, before we had this fake news label, uh, presidents had an obligation to engage in counter speech with the press, right? If the press exposed something that was unflattering or problematic, uh, the president uh, had to address those claims on their face, right? Had to say, here's why um, it's false, right? Or here's why I did what I did, or here's additional information that will um, sort of contribute to the marketplace of ideas and help the reader or, or the listener understand what truth is. And we shut down a lot of that conversation in the marketplace of ideas by just attaching this label, right? If the president um, is subjected to news coverage and just tweets out, um, this is fake news, uh, that's the end. We, we, the people, aren't getting any more information. We're not getting told what aspects of it are inaccurate. We're not being told what aspects of it the president dislikes. We're not being told whatever additional information the politician on the other end of this has at their disposal. And that's really harmful to democracy. It's It's a real shame. That we can't sort of engage in a conversation about uh, sort of adding new information when we have a problem with information that's been published.
2: Yeah, I, I think it really gets to this us, them. Everything becomes us and them. You're, you're either with me or you're not. Uh, but the ultimate test, America is always at its best when it is a country of big ideas and open, even roiling debate. Uh, and this conversation is what circumvents or cuts off that important debate. And, and so I think all of us would agree that it, it really isn't about disagreeing. Uh, we just have to disagree better. It's not about disagreeing less as a country. We just have to disagree better. And part of that. Uh, requires the media. Part of it uh, requires elected officials uh, to step up and have real conversations. We have to remember that the the First Amendment does not belong to the presidency or to an elected official, uh, nor does it belong to the press. Uh, It belongs to the people. And we have to make sure it stays there. Mm
0: -hmm. So so Max, I'm curious about this, we the people idea, because it's come up in all of this conversation today too. But the information that we get as we the people largely comes through, well, all of you, comes through you. I mean, you're great reporters too. so, So how How do you look at that, Max? Because I know you're a trusted voice in the community, but how do you view yourself when you are that filter oftentimes between
3: whoever these elected officials are and people like me, the voters? It is becoming harder and harder. Because the uh, be, because as you try to adhere to uh, the facts, um, the facts can become a point of contention, yeah. and that is um, you know in, in this uh, in this COVID era, um, and in and largely in the Trump era too, I've I've become as much a data reporter mm-hmm. as a political reporter, uh, just going into the the hard statistics about what is happening, and yet still when you're when you're sharing those things, you wind up. Uh, with people telling you that those things are, are not correct, that you are pushing a point of view by, by saying that this is our incidence rate of COVID-19 or by saying um, you know, something about uh, what's going on in politics or with the vote right now that we're talking about. And that, that's tough and people, um, and we live in this world where people can cloister themselves in their own opinion bubble. And, um, and so they can consume just the news yeah. they wanna hear.
2: Uh, and I think it really comes down to, to both sides, both the media uh, and the consumer, the the citizens. Uh, we have to be aware of this thing called instant certainty. Uh, instant certainty is the enemy of truth and it's the enemy of trust. And so sometimes it's the media trying to rush to get the, to be first in, to yeah. break the story, to break the news. And so they make some sweeping generalities or yeah. make some assumptions or they cut corners. Uh, a lot of times it's the the consumer, the citizen who's yeah. just reading the headline and yeah. is instantly certain that this and this and this is true uh, when reality it isn't. And so part of it is a, is a we the people. We have to back off and step away from instant certainty. Part of it is the responsibility of the media to make sure. Uh, I remember uh, when you had uh, Bob Woodward up here on campus at the U, uh, he said restraint always works. Uh, it works for the media, it works for politicians, and it has yeah. to work for the people as well. We have to step back. Well, wow. Yeah,
1: you know, historically, we, uh, we um, have really relied in modern times um, as a foundation of our democracy on having at least some shared truth, and at least some shared truth tellers, and I think the threats that um, that we're talking about here really rise and fall on that problem, right? Uh, the the sort of core sense that there are um, even foundational, basic empirical truths that we have difficulty agreeing upon, uh, um, and f- and finding sources on which we can agree, and and certainly at core moments like um, a public health crisis, right? Or or, um, a contended election, it's especially vital that we figure out uh, how to agree upon a basic empirical fact so that we can then go on to have conversations in which we disagree upon the interpretation of them or the opinion of, opinions about them. Well,
0: Renault, how do you think this happens? Because what well, you said it seems just exactly right to me, but you add on that layer, what Boyd and Max have just said, which we have truth, as you called it, we've got facts, and then I think Max called this an opinion bubble that we all live in. Also, how do these three things come together so that we can finally feel like we're getting to the source of what is actual fact or truth?
1: Yeah, I think the social science is starting to teach us a lot about how we come to our own um, position on what's true, right? what uh, what we agree uh, when we read, what we agree to believe, and what we agree to embrace as truth. And it turns out that our um, political identity, our sense of belonging to a group, uh, our sense of uh, sort of what feels right to us emotionally uh, has a a really big impact on us, a much greater impact uh, even than empirical data has. And part of what I think we have to do here as a society is work really hard um, to engage in some education at a very early age about um, how uh, truth is determined, right? Uh, Understanding what our limitations are, understanding what our instincts are, understanding um, the way that Boyd was describing about uh, the sort of the the instinct that we do have to rush to judgment and to agree with things that sit right with us and to disagree with things that don't sit right with us, and to be um, more careful questioners of information that we receive, um, and in a social media world that permits us to sort of uh, climb inside our own silo and just reside there, to sort of um, have the echo chamber that agrees with everything that we think uh, and that we pass on uh, to other people who think similarly, it's really important that we train ourselves up uh, to try to at least be aware of those tendencies. Yeah, and
3: I I think that's a good point, and I I think the other thing that goes along with being able to to silo off or bubble ourselves off also is this uh, this increased complexity that everybody is dealing with in the world right now and um, in in the sense that uh, years ago when you just had a a telephone and a television with four stations and your local newspaper there was only so much coming at you Um, whereas now you immediately know what's happening in other parts of the world and you immediately have access to the most extreme version of those events Mm -hmm. and uh, human beings are, I I know I have it in me, uh, we're prone to outrage pretty quickly, um, and, and we tend to equate whatever point of view we're seeing with the most extreme form of it we're seeing, and that is something that we constantly have access to, and so we get these sides that are simply judging each other on on things that uh, years and years ago they wouldn't have been exposed to so mm-hmm. immediately, so quickly, um, and, and that's, I, I think it is, um, that's overwhelming to everybody.
2: Yeah, I, I think Max's point is, is so important, important that uh, we have to be able to separate the rage from the reason mm-hmm. uh, and our political system has actually taught us to respond inappropriately uh, to those negative base emotions of anger fear frustration uh, that's how most of the political world raises funds uh, we always call it the shampoo mm-hmm. bottled model you know the bottom of your shampoo bottle used to say lather rinse repeat mm-hmm. uh, so they'd lather people up they get them angry they get them frustrated yeah. uh, then they allow them to rinse that off with a nice $25 contribution then they repeat and so we've actually been conditioned to respond inappropriately. Uh, and when we respond with rage, we rarely get to reason. Uh, and we rarely get to the conversation that's going to take us anywhere uh, that actually matters. And so well, we have to get out of this us versus them. Uh, and So that's a good thing for, for people to be thinking through. Uh, we have to also have to make sure that we're checking our sources. We're getting out of our own comfort zone and, and bubble and what gets served up to us on our social media feeds uh, and go to different sources and talk to people who have different opinions than we do. Uh, Thomas Jefferson said that a difference of opinion is not a difference of principle. Uh, and so we have to give other people the benefit of the doubt and not judge them because their approach to a public policy uh, might be different than our own. That doesn't mean they're not patriotic. That doesn't mean they're not smart. Uh, doesn't mean a host of other things. But uh, again, we have to take control of that and start challenging ourselves first. These are great
0: points. I was reminding me of my, my own kids who like to say, you know, the facts don't care about your feelings. But it turns out oftentimes our feelings don't care okay, about the, the fact. facts. Yeah, yeah that's right uh, often is the case <laughs> Renell, maybe for just a moment um give us some more definition you're just so great on fake news uh what difference between that and maybe misinformation or disinformation because these are different things
1: yeah, and I think uh, Max was sort of tapping into some of these notions that um, in a, a world in which we communicate with each other, and particularly a world in which we communicate with each other with speed, right, with um, urgency and instantaneous communication, we're going to get some things wrong. Um, but a, a a big piece of the conversation here uh, needs to be focused on um, efforts to deliberately get things wrong, right? Uh, To plant within our minds ideas that are false um, for a wide variety of reasons, right? Sometimes those are political reasons and sometimes uh, those are economic, commercial reasons. There are lots of folks who have incentives to spread um, information that isn't true, uh, to influence elections and to get clicks. Um, and, And so we're separating out active efforts to disinform from misinformation that does make its way into the marketplace of ideas with some frequency, just in the natural course of things. Uh, um, anybody who has ever tried to share information, in a, as a reporter or a journalist, or um, as a person um, who just right, is writing up something to share with other people, knows that sometimes uh, erroneous information makes its way uh, out to other people, and so we might be misinformed without being disinformed. And the the, the policy approaches that we take to misinformation might need to be quite different than the policy uh, approaches that we take to active uh, efforts to disinform. Mm-hmm. And I think that
3: it's a, it's, it's a very important distinction and it's, it's another thing that's been thrown around uh, after this election, um, which is with, uh, with the polling. In, yeah. in the election, where uh, you have um, one, one of our own uh, 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 Congressman Chris Stewart from Utah here uh, I- immediately after the election talked about how uh, the pollsters were uh, willingly uh, were, were were choosing to, to disinform essentially choosing yeah. to manipulate their results in order to sway opinion um, and that is that, that is a heck of a thing to say rather than boy they messed up and got it wrong I mean that, that those are those are two yeah. entirely different things. We all mess up and get things wrong. Uh, it's it's like the fake news thing, but the other is an active attempt to distort the truth.
0: Yeah. So sometimes I'm wondering how this might happen because Boyd, it's possible for disinformation to be so broadly shared. It... It becomes a lot of misinformation, right? It becomes something we're all you you had to work through this with the Deseret News, even even in this last uh, race, when it came to the fourth congressional district, you had to take a stand on something. Talk about that.
2: Yeah. So there was a uh, there was an ad uh, placed by a candidate uh, that uh, got through the system. Uh, We have a little different uh, standards and practices in terms of the Deseret News, in terms of what kind of political ads we would we would run. Uh, We don't run attack ads at the Deseret News. That's been our longstanding practice and policy. Uh, So this one had snuck through the system once it was identified and we did what we always do, which is go back to the candidate and say, hey, if you want to do a new creative or a different ad, we're happy to to do that. Uh, Because we really believe that uh, rather than having the the big battles of the the attack ads, uh, we believe that a candidate should come to us and make their case. What are you for? Not what are you against? Uh, And so there was, again, some disinformation, some misinformation uh, in terms of an ad being pulled, but it was really in the context uh, of what we always do when we receive an attack ad uh, the fact that it had run at all uh,
3: was the was the frontline mistake the correction was the was the right thing mm-hmm. can i break yeah. the rules here jason yes. i want to break the rules and i want to ask a question of of ronell because uh, because oh, this is this goes, is something Rennell. that uh, th- you know, I'm, I'm, i really i really am curious and i want to get your, your opinion um, the, the, the our, our station uh, assigns me the role of fact checking negative advertising and um, and and what i find is that uh, when I'm doing that, we, we, we created these categories of fact, fiction, and then we had to have this third category, which we call, because alliteration is like the law in TV for some reason, <laughs> fudging, which is that, there's, is that they're, they're towing a line where what they're saying is not fictional, but, mm-hmm. it's, uh, but it is um, distorting the truth, uh, and, and that happens on... that is what a negative ad yeah. does. Yeah. Yes. Is that, so, so an example would be, uh, let's say an ad against Burgess Owens and his bankruptcies, and it says he declared bankruptcy eight times and blah, 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 blah. And he went through two large bankruptcies, and there were several filings within that. Um, yeah, there were eight filings, or I forget if it's eight or six, but anyway, there, but, uh, but really it's two, and how much does that matter? Is that misinformation or disinformation?
1: Yeah. So legally, this is a particularly um, tricky situation, right? Uh, because the United States Supreme Court has been super, super concerned as a First Amendment matter about having there be governmental regulators declaring what's true or what's false, right? It, particularly as to political speech. And um, every uh, political advertiser, every politician and PAC has an incentive uh, to goose uh, the information to be as effective favorable or disfavorable as they can be right we're going to count every single meeting that was missed uh, by a particular candidate rather than um, the major meetings right and if you use a word meeting then you mean um, all of the meetings that anybody ever held and not just major um, votes that were missed on the house floor let's say Uh, or um, in the example that you gave right Um, technically if the words are accurate that a person uh, placed that many filings with a court it's difficult To say, uh, sort of as an on-off switch, as a binary matter, it's false um, or it's true. Um, Rather, it's um, it's puffery, right? Uh, Or it's, I guess, to use your alliteration, it's fudging. Um, And uh, the the Supreme Court, as a First Amendment matter, um, absolutely protects fudging, uh, in part because they've made the sort of hard calculation that it is much better for us to be in a situation in which we counter that false speech with accurate speech than it is to be in a situation where the government is um, determining truth and falsehood on matters uh, of politics and and matters of policy. Now, whether the trust that the Supreme Court actually has in the wider marketplace of ideas, the notion that if you're you're the candidate on the other end, of that fudging, whether you can actually accurately counter that information by giving all of the nuanced clarifications, um, I think is a real question, right? Uh, I, I think there's good reason to believe, for all the reasons that Boyd has described, that um, we make flash judgments and are and have our uh, political decisions influenced by the initial big uh, fudging, uh, and have difficulty getting into the nuance of why that fudging isn't um, is closer to false than it is to true. Uh, But as a First Amendment matter, um, we're in a real box on this.
2: Yeah, it, you know, it uh, it really does come back to this uh, as you get the fudging, as you get the nuance, and, and a lot of the social media channels just kill nuance. There's there's no there's no space for nuance on Twitter. There just isn't. Uh, and so ultimately, the question comes back to so so who ultimately is responsible? Uh, a couple of years ago, I was actually writing a, a, an article. My column for the week was going to be about truth, and it was one of those weeks where uh, one thing led to another, procrastination, and a few <laughs> meetings cropped up, and and so I told my assistant an editor, just leave me a space at the bottom of the page, and that's where my article going to go. And it got to be 5 o'clock, and he brought the proofs around for the paper. And at the bottom, there was just a, a picture of me, uh, and in red pen, he wrote, the truth will be written here. <laughs> and he answered you my question. Have
1: every publication that you write say that's that. A, that's that's right. what it should Which say, Every single word. time, you should just put out every, every issue of the Deseret News should just say that.
2: That's right. And so ultimately, it, it answered my own question of who's responsible for the truth. I'm responsible for the truth. We're all responsible yeah. for the truth. Both what we consume and what we put out on our
3: social media channels, what conversations we have online. And we're going to mess up. We are going to mess up, we're going to make mistakes, and don't trust anybody who says they don't make mistakes. Don't trust anyone who says they get everything right. I just did two stories in the last two weeks, one right after the election, where it really looked like three Democrats were flipping seats in Salt Lake County. Um, And and the the numbers looked, uh, you know, covering a lot of elections, looked like that's clearly the way it's going. I covered it that way the day after the election, two of those Republicans have won. Uh, those seats did not flip. Mm-hmm. I was wrong, and I did a story two days ago explaining what was wrong, how I was wrong, why this election kind of flummoxed me, you know, in the way that the votes came back. And, uh, and you know, I mean, that's, that's part of what we have to do is, is show, uh, show our flaws. Yeah, that, okay. cori- that courageous
2: yeah, vulnerability.
1: I think um, I think that what Max has described in both of, uh, sort of his last two comments are, are both really important um, about what we rely on journalism doing good journalism in a democracy doing which is basically like what they told you you used to have to do uh, you know in math class in middle school you know show, show your work, work. Yeah. Uh, right uh, I don't need Max always to get it right uh, any more than um, I could be counted on always to get everything right what uh, I what I need Max to do is to tell me how he got where he got. And I think that's actually the um, the big answer to the question about truth and falsehood and fudging in political ads, right? Really valuable to me for Max to write a story that says, look, I did the hard work as a proxy on behalf of you, the citizen. And I dug into this question. And here's the real truth. The real truth is that it's some, it's a little bit true and it's a little bit false, right? The person has filed this number of bankruptcies and the, um, but the way that they're counting that is in these sorts of ways. And if we can be responsible media consumers right read all of the material that is provided to us on this and if Max can show his work then we then we meet in the middle and we come to a place where we have the best possible shot of appreciating uh, the where the truth lies and where the falsity is creeping in and
3: I, I appreciate that and yet at the same time you know what happened to those stories that fudging became a part of the negative ads it showed up
0: so helpful to this conversation today for all of us to watch this and there's still hope in all of this for all of us Absolutely. so thank you for your comments today thank you for listening to this podcast episode of the Hinkley report if you like listening to the experts talking about the issues please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app